0: Let's begin with reading this parable by Jesus, and we're going to start and just read verses 1 through 9, but we'll make it through all 20 verses this morning. Again, he began to teach them beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and he sat in it it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. So this morning, I want to explore this parable of Jesus. And it's probably the, the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables. If you look in the background, one of the things I was, as I was looking for this if you recognize the painting style of this person, this is Van Gogh. Uh, Van Gogh is not a believer in any way, shape, or form, but he, this was actually a theme he came back to 30 times. He painted the sower the, the, the 30 different times. It was something he loved to come back and do over and over and over again. So needless to say, this, this parable is very well known, and I think it's because it's, in many ways, a simple parable. Whether you're, it's, it's today in, in 2022 in Germany, or whether it was around 3 or 4 or 30 A.D. Uh, AD uh, in the time of, of Jesus, that it makes perfect sense in any culture. It doesn't matter whether it's Asian, Western. This parable is understandable to anyone who knows anything about nature. And in fact, it's it's not for just the adults. So, so as you kids are sitting in this room, you all have already begun to see, and you probably have already done a little exercise where you take a seed, you put it in the cup, you have some soil, and it grows up in the window, right? This is something literally every age and every culture could know and understand. Now, the parable is often called. Maybe your Bible has a title. By the way, you know, in the original text, there were no titles for these. There were no chapters. But oftentimes, this is referred to as the parable of the sower. And while Jesus, Jesus doesn't give his parables titles, by, he doesn't say, uh, excuse me, I'm, gonna, I'm about to teach the parable of the sower. Jesus just taught. But if I were to comment on this, one title change I would make, if you notice in, in my title, I've called it the parable of the soils. Because what Jesus actually really begins to unpack for us Is four different types of soils, and so uh, nothing wrong with calling this the parable of the sower. Jesus didn't give titles. If I were to give it a more uh, apt title, I would call it the parable of the soils, uh, or the parable of the sower and the soils. And what we're going to see, and we're going to take today, is kind of a hearing test. We're going to take a heart test. You're going to see both of those in here, and then we're going to talk a little bit about practical application. So. Let me begin by just saying, did you catch the phrase in verse 3 where Jesus begins the story and says, listen, listen, if, if I was writing it, like, so it would be in all caps, like and bright bold, because this is actually an imperative. This is a command. Uh, it, it is hard for me to, to fully express. I'm not Jesus. I don't have his authority. Uh, but I can read for you and how Jesus would have, have, have said as I'm trying to. And once again, remember we've talked about amens, where Jesus began a, a sentence with amen, truly, truly, or, or no for sure. This is actually different because this is a command. And I would, so I would say, listen. But I think Jesus said it more loving. I don't know how. How would you say it? Are, everybody, uh, maybe as a teacher, right? Have you ever been in teaching? Uh, I used to teach uh, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th, I would sub, right? And there was times in the madness and the chaos, you'd stand up there and like, kids, listen. Or sometimes you'd like do the countdown, right? And everybody knows when you get down to one, you better stop talking because you get the strafa. You get a little, you get a mark that says you didn't listen. So Jesus begins the whole story with saying, listen. And that's why I talk about this. There's going to be a hearing test. And he's going to finish actually in verse 9 and says, He who has ears, let them hear. So the whole parable we get is bookended. First, by an imperative, it says, listen. And then after he finishes, he says, He who has ears, let him hear. So let's just talk about this. Let's just talk about the farming concepts here. And that's why I stopped at verse 9. Now, Let's transport ourselves back into Jesus' day, and let's transport ourselves into uh, what it was like and what these people were seeing and understanding. Jesus is describing the everyday kind of uh, basic living that this culture has at that point in time. Everybody... Uh, is familiar with the fact that if we're going to grow something, this wasn't everybody's job, but everybody is familiar with the the agrarian side of things, is here's how we grow food. The sower would go out to sow. So at the appropriate time, it was the right season, it was the right temperature, it was the right time, the farmer, if if the sower sounds uh, maybe something you can't relate to, a a sower is simply uh, calling the act of casting seed. If you want to call it a farmer, let's call it a farmer. The farmer, at the right time, goes out. Now, a farmer, you know, they didn't own tons and tons of land. A lot of times, they owned a piece of property, and they farmed that thing for all it was worth. And what you would have, and you probably have maybe different ideas or pictures, but it was either like a a cloth bag with kind of a strap around your shoulder, with a big uh, hole where you could reach in and grab a handful of seed, and literally you would walk your field, and the word here is broadcast. You would broadcast that seed, and you would literally just step, make steps, and you would cast that seed on your field. It may have also maybe just been like an apron, and sometimes they had loose clothes. Maybe they took a hem of their apron, they put the seed in there, and they would walk their, their field, and they would cast their seed, grab a, grab a handful, and you threw it out. And so that farmer would walk his fields. And like I said, they don't have massive amounts of property, and, and what they would do is they would farm, first of all, for their family and what they would grow, and then if they had extra, they would sell it. And so you wanted every single inch or every single centimeter of that field to have a chance to produce. And so you would just broadcast that seed. You would walk up and you would broadcast it one way. You would get to the end of your field and you would walk back and you would broadcast it like this. Now, different than today's uh, modern methods of, of farming, that oftentimes what you do is you, ha- you use a machine or you use something with metal like a plow and you can plow a furrow and you open up the ground and then we would sow the seed. Back then, you actually walked the fields first, and you cast the seeds. And then, depending upon your status, some people may have had a donkey or an oxen that they might have been able to hook, kind of a primitive wooden plow. When I looked at this, this wasn't metal instruments. Oftentimes, they said it was just like a walking stick with a block of wood, uh, is how some of these poorer farmers would sow the seed and then they would walk and they would use that to actually cover over some of the seed they sowed. And so, as you can imagine, this the farmer would go out, he would sow the fields in this way, he would take uh, his implement. Maybe he had a, a, a donkey or, or an ox that he could uh, have leading the way and he would kind of stand on that piece of wood and that would... Uh, kind of make a furrow that would cover over some of the seeds, or maybe he just had a wooden implement where he pulled it behind. Maybe they put some rocks on some kind of tool that they put together. But this was farming in those days. Now, Jesus tells us about four kinds of, uh, of soil that seed could land on. And so we're, all we're doing right now is just talking about the farming aspect. So the first Kind of soil that Jesus introduces. He says it's the pathway. Now, if you're familiar with gardening, or if you're familiar with walking out into the um, kind of the farmlands here in Germany, one of the things that you will see, and it is typical of of any agricultural community, is that you have the farmland, and in, in between you have connecting pathways. Now, in Germany, sometimes we have even wider pathways. But if you... Uh, when I lived out in Anspach, if you walk out into the, uh, the farm area, you would have fields, and ringed around every field was pathways that you could walk. And this is the same picture that we get. And on those pathways... Now, a lot of times today, they're, they're pretty wide. But back in Jesus' time, a lot of times it, it wasn't much larger than what we would I think it was three feet or one meter. It was not large. And on those pathways where everybody would walk as they're walking through the community to the different areas that they're going, that pathway would be packed down dirt from feet walking on it. Many times, actually, in the middle of your field, you need a pathway to be able to access, right? So when I I was uh, really into gardening a few years ago, uh, and I would plant, you had to have a way to get in between the things that you planted a little pathway that you, you put down, and I would put down hay so that weeds wouldn't grow up, and I would use that as a walkway so I can access the things that I was growing and weed and take care of them. But you, you should have in your mind that along what's being sown is you have these harder pathways. And on those pathways, nothing grows. It's because either it's, it's stamped down in the ground or in this illustration, it's uh, picked up by the birds. I had this actually happen. Uh, we had a, a spot in our lawn uh, when we were in Noyanspok where um, I wanted to, to I, I, I sowed it with grass because it, it had gotten to this, be this big area and it was getting muddy and the kids were out there playing. So I sowed it with grass. What I didn't realize was the students, I sowed it, the birds were like, mealtime. Uh, and they, they came and literally the birds were getting at my seeds. And so I had to figure out, I, I put hay on top and then I was trying to put netting Because the reality is this is natural for the birds. The birds see a meal and they would take it. So the first type of soil this this illustration explains is that hardened path. And on those paths, it's not the place where the seed is going to take root and grow. The second type of soil that this explains, now this is a little bit foreign to us. And when you think of the rocky ground, this is not ground that has like these big rocks in it where they just didn't clear the soil. Uh, That was how my mind was imagining it. What this is talking about in in the area uh, of Israel, the way that the actual um, land is put together, they have these huge, massive stone, um, I don't know, uh, plates right underneath the soil. And when a farmer has a field, he can remove the stones that are on top but there's nothing he can do about these massive plates. You know, like we, we think of these days, we know there's volcanic plates and tectonic plates and things of, of, of how the earth is actually made underneath the soil. Well, in the area of ancient Israel, that, there's a, a plate of rock that's very close up. And there's areas of each farmer's field, and he would know these as he got to know his, his property, where, that there was just a little bit of soil. And anything planted there is not going to really grow. Its, its roots could grow down a little bit, but after a few days, it has no longer access. It hits that rock, and there's no ability to get nutrients or water. And it quickly, anything planted there is going to quickly, in a sense, it grows up, it takes root, and then it dies. The third soil is the th- uh, soil that has thorns or weeds. Now, this is uh, a part of every property, when you look at it, oftentimes you have the path here where you walk around. And then there, towards the edge of the path, there's an area that, that, like the grass is growing up a little bit higher. Or you have some thorny bushes. And when you sow in the spring, everything is dormant, right? So in, in winter, everything dies. Uh, and everything goes back down to basically being brown. Or, and, and you don't have the grasses up. And so that field all looks the same except for maybe the path. When you sow it in the spring, it looks like normal ground. But as soon as the sun comes up, as soon as uh, it starts getting spring, what you see is those areas that already have weeds in it, they, they take off so quickly that they choke anything else out. And if you have ever uh, had a garden or if you've ever farmed, you can do your best to try to get out weeds and eliminate bushes and thorns, do your best. Have at it. It's like war, but you don't actually get to the bottom of them. Like you can, sometimes you can kind of keep them at bay, but there's areas where the, where the weeds grow, where the thorns are, that there's going to be competition for water and resources. And whenever that seed lands there, guess what? It'll take root. It'll start to grow, but it, it can't compete With all of the the natural, by the way, a weed is nothing other than a plant that you don't want to grow. A weed is a plant too. There is no such thing as a weed and a plant. A a weed is categorized as anything growing in a place where you don't want it to grow. And when you're talking about growing wheat or fruits or flowers, there's there's plants that are much better competitors for sunlight, for nutrients, and for uh, water. And those, that's why they're weeds. In a sense, they grow so abundantly we want to get rid of them because other things we, we want to see grow. Uh, but they're, they're very adept. So now the last thing we're going to talk about is the good soil. So Jesus says there's this, there's the pathways, there's the, the rocky ground where there, there's a, a, a stone plate underneath the soil, there's the thorny ground, and then there's the good soil. Now, about the good soil, there's one thing that would have stood out, and it maybe doesn't stand out to you. Uh, And it didn't stand out to me until I was reading the commentaries and understanding. So there is good soil, and on the good soil you had 30-, 60-, and 100-fold, in a sense, reproduction or harvest. If you were not a farmer, then you probably wouldn't know that at this time a 10-fold harvest was, was considered amazing. So when the farmer planted, and by the way, this, these aren't just words. So a tenfold harvest would be, uh, when, when you grew wheat, at the end of the wheat harvest, you would actually have a measurable amount of wheat. And the reason that was important, and the reason they knew actually exactly how much their field produced, was that one, they knew how much it needed, they needed for their family, because you had to measure it out for the year, Right? And two, you had to know how much you could sell. And so uh, they, they had these baskets they would measure. They would know, okay, here's for my family. Here's how much I have to sell. So they actually knew measured amounts of their harvest. And a tenfold harvest would be, I sowed one basket this large, and it was X amount of grams or whatever you want to, however you want to measure it. And the result from this year's harvest was ten of those. That's a tenfold harvest. Okay. So, when we're using these words, these aren't just kind of nebulous, meaning like oh, it's a good harvest. A tenfold harvest means you sowed one basket and your result was ten baskets. Some for your family to feed and some to sell. Tenfold was this was a year that was blessed. We had rain, we had sun, I had enough to feed my family and I had some to sell. You might. Uh, you would often not get a tenfold harvest. You might have a fivefold harvest. And that was probably enough to survive. So what sort of stood out about this parable is the fact that Jesus says 30, 60, and 100. So everything I've explained to you would have been normal, natural, and understandable to Jesus' whole audience. But the one thing that stood out that would have made them think, what? is this man talking about? Because he said a 30, a 60, and a 100-fold harvest. Now, I want to transition because if you were sitting in, in that audience, then you would have understood the story. And I think most of us, any age, uh, every single age in, in, in hearing my voice probably could understand the story so far. But the question we might be asking is, this is the guy who was performing miracles. This is the guy who was casting out demons. And so we went out to hear him because we wanted to know more. And the story that we heard when we walked away was a story about a farmer. And in fact, everything made sense to me except for he said a five-fold harvest or a ten-fold harvest, he said a 30-, 60-, and a hundred-fold harvest. And that's all you got. The reason I didn't read the whole passage, and you probably know that Jesus interprets this, the crowds actually got no more than that, and so maybe let's, let's let's place ourselves in the synagogue where we saw the man with the withered hand become healed, and we were interested to know more about Jesus, and so we find out that he's teaching, and we go. And when I go, what I heard was a parable like this. And the question is, when you walked away, and it said many parables, so it wasn't just this parable. Jesus told them many parables. But this one is particularly important. We're going to find out it's the key to understanding the other parables. And so just place yourself as one of Jesus' hearers because that's what you walked away with. And what would you do with that? What would your heart be doing? What would your mind be asking as you walked home? And that's the question that Jesus' disciples really have. Because when they get back to where they're alone with Jesus, the first thing they say is, Jesus, why do you tell stories like this? And what's the meaning of that one particular story? What's the meaning of the story about the seeds and the soils? So let's pick up the rest of the story And let's read for you what Jesus says next. We're going to start in verse 10. It says And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything's in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, verses 10 to 13, I want you to put a, in a sense, have you ever had, when you're highlighting, you have those little tabs where you can put a little tab and highlight and and say, okay, this is important, I need to come back. Here's what we're going to do. These... Verses 10 to 13 are too important for us to skip, but I can't go in depth right now. So, we're going to have a part two to this sermon. We're going to go to Jesus' explanation, but here's what I want to say. Part two is coming. So, the very next Sunday after uh, Josh speaks, we're going to dive down into this. Here's what I'll tell you for now. On April 3rd, when we have part two, we're going to dive deeper into the theology and the doctrine that needs to inform our understanding of the kingdom of salvation and the response of the crowds to the good news of the kingdom. Because Jesus actually, in this explanation, doesn't tell you what we think. They asked, why do you speak in parables? And you would think, Jesus says, because I want it to be so easy and understandable for everyone that everyone can enter into the kingdom. What he says is, in many ways, the opposite. He says, so that indeed they may see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. Jesus' answer is the exact opposite of what you would expect them to say. So the question is, we need to dive further. This is not something we can skip over. The question is, what does that mean? So this morning, suffice it to say that verse 12 is a quote from Isaiah. And it specifically also appears in the Gospel of John, and it's going to appear in Acts. And every time it's quoted, word for word, straight from Isaiah, is always to address why people are hearing the good news of the kingdom and rejecting it. Every time. And so, what we want to do is we want to make sure we take time to explore a little bit further. Next week, we'll look at Isaiah. We'll look at his ministry and calling. We'll look at the reality that Isaiah was called to preach good news to the people, and the people also rejected. Israel rejected then, and many are rejecting now. And we need to understand why. Now, so, I'll press unpause, because we will get there. And I want to continue the story, because now Jesus moves in to explaining this parable himself. Let's begin in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, and they choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. Now, I want to take the rest of our time. We started a little bit late today, but I promise we we are going to deal directly with this text uh, when we're going to talk about a few personal applications. So let's just talk about this hearing test. I told you earlier that there's a hearing test and a heart test. Has anybody, uh, when they were a kid, I remember this in school, you would get called in the nurse's office, they put a headset on you and you would hear tones and be like, you know? yeah, and then, and, then, and then it was like which ear? And so you would raise your hand and the, 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 um, the, the tones got like uh, lower and lower. And that hearing test was to discern, can you hear or is there a hearing problem? Are you hearing impaired? The first thing I want you to think about when we start to explain Jesus' explanation, remember the crowds didn't get the explanation. Jesus began in verse 3, he says, listen. And then he ends in verse 9, after he tells the parable, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. The parable was a hearing test. And it was a hearing test to understand, do you listen and perceive the things of the kingdom? Do you have ears that can hear? Because everybody heard Jesus' voice. But not everybody heard the kingdom. Not everybody heard the the chief shepherd calling. And so the thing I want to lay in front of you this morning is, when we hear Jesus' words, it's a kingdom hearing test. And it's almost as if you hear that tone... You're listening. I'm sitting in the nurse's office again, and I'm listening. I would even close my eyes because I want to make sure like, I, don't, like, I want to get the test right. I would close my eyes, and I would sit there, and she would make little tones, and I would raise my hand, and I'd think, wait, was that? Was that? And I would raise my hand. What the parables do, they're a hearing test. When we hear Jesus explain this parable, and we recognize Everything I understood but that 30 and 60 and 100-fold harvest, that's divine. That's supernatural. There's nothing in this world like that. Did it, it pique a curiosity? When you came, did you... There's two kinds of people that came to hear who had seen Jesus' miracles, and they go out to hear him, and they hear Jesus speak. And they would have said, almost like that hearing test... I believe there's some who walked away, and as they're walking with the people who had filled the crowds next to them, they said, I wonder, I wonder what he meant. What do you think he meant? Were, were they walking away wondering, How do I know more of this man? How do I know more of this message? What did that parable mean? Was their heart open to the kingdom? Or do they walk away and say, I saw a man who healed, and I went out to hear him, and I walked away, and he told stories about seed and soil. What a waste of time. When that man's walking home, he's like, what did it even mean? When he gets home and his wife says, what did you hear? It's like, Nothing. I heard nothing. I heard a babbler. I heard a man who talked about things that we already know. He talked about seed and soils. I heard nothing about salvation. I heard nothing about the kingdom of God. I walked away. I won't waste another minute with that man. He can heal, he can cast out demons, but I have no interest in anything else. It's a hearing test. What did you hear? And the beauty is that literally, I'm not Jesus, but I'm sharing his words. And as we speak this morning, it's a hearing test. What do you hear? Do you hear the kingdom? Does your heart want to know more? When you read that first part, did you say, what does it mean? But what does it mean? What is that 30 and 60 and 100 fold? I want to know that. That's the one thing. I walked away. I understood everything else. I don't know that. And I want to know that. Because I've never had a 30-fold harvest. I've never had a 60-fold harvest. I've never had a 100-fold harvest. But he says one's possible. What does it mean? Did it make him hungry? So let's just talk about those soils. I want to just kind of maybe practically paint a picture. Because now I don't want to talk about a hearing test. I want to have a heart test. Because every single one of those soils is one... is one of you today. So when the seed of, of God's word is sown, so Jesus explains the parable. He says there's a sower, and the sower was obviously clearly Jesus sowing seed, or it's anyone who is sowing seed after him. We can apply that. Any, any of Jesus' disciples, anyone who would sow the word of God is the sower. So it, originally, Jesus, for sure. But we just talked about today of reaching our one. We're sowers, we're casting seed. And that seed, by the way, have you noticed in the parable that it was never an issue with the seed? The seed's good. The seed, when it's sown, grows. That's why I said it's not the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the soils. Because it's, what matters is what soil that seed falls on. The sower acted in faith and sowed the seed. The seed is good. It will produce. The question was, which soil, which of those four soils did it fall on? Three of those soils produced no fruit. Only one of the soils produced fruit. And so let's just look at this because now let's talk about a heart test. Because the heart test is, when I am sharing Jesus' words, it is falling on one of those four soils in your heart today. or And, and your heart has been that soil in the past. The, this, This parable doesn't say that soil will always uh, remain the same. We'll get to that when we talk about Isaiah. Uh, It's never once and for all. But what I can say is when the seed is cast, I'm casting out the word of God. Right now it's landing on either a path, rocky ground, thorny ground, or good soil. So now I want you to talk about a heart test, and I want to explain these four soils. And you, in, in the privacy of your own heart, you figure out, where am I at? How is it landing? So here's the first soil. That first soil, that path, that's those who hear the gospel or who hear this word and immediately reject it. I could point to many different types of people, but I would say atheists will often reject it. When we've been out and we share the word, Uh, somebody will say, "Um, thank you for sharing. Uh, I don't believe in Christianity. I'm not interested. They have a belief system already in their heart, and they are, uh, and it's a belief, by the way, all of us have a biased belief system. All of us are coming at the, at the truth or at the facts with a certain belief system in our heart, but the, the path are those who, when the seed hits, it can't even penetrate the soil. It doesn't even enter in. And you probably have met people like this, we're not trying to condemn them. All I'm saying is we all have a heart condition. And if your heart condition means I won't even listen, I won't even talk to you about what could possibly be true, about why this world exists, what is my purpose, why is there brokenness and sin, and what is the solution? I am so fixed in my views that I will not even talk to you and consider anything other than my own viewpoint. That's hard soil. And what do you do with hard soil? Hard soil. You pray and ask God to till that soil, but they're not going to receive that seed. Nothing will grow. A good example of, of the hard seed is the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, remember, who were the ones who literally con, who attributed Jesus' casting out demons to the prince of demons. That is an example of hard soil. And today I would say it's many of your colleagues, coworkers, or friends you have had it either... Uh, no, no view of God where they, they, because of science or because of experience or because of their own beliefs, they will not let God in. They won't even have that conversation. You probably, you've seen them and maybe some of you have been there. Let's talk about uh, the, the rocky soil. The, the rocky soil, and this is interesting, the seed actually penetrates and it does grow. Uh, this is the person who, who receives Christ, but there is no root and notice there's two immediates. Jesus says they immediately receive it, and they immediately reject it. So this person receives the gospel, but when they recognize the cost, or they, uh, when it says they suffer for the word, or there's persecution for the word. By the way, so the word is saying for the gospel, for your beliefs. When they, when they put it in the scale of life and think, yes, in that moment I received it. I, bu- I received it with joy. But then, you know, have you ever heard of buyer's remorse or buyer's regret? You know, I I just bought this car. What what am I thinking? I'm glad I can return it within 48 hours because I don't want this car. That's a huge payment. That happens in all of life. But what this is saying is some people will receive the gospel and then reject it. And by the way, the the reception is clear and the rejection is clear. So they're they're saying, I believe, and they'll tell you, I I no longer believe. Okay, so this person is soil. received the gospel, then they will also tell you, I reject it. I reject it, okay? Who is an example of, of someone like this? Uh, I would say, when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, remember he comes up and says, Jesus, hey, I'm ready. What do I got to do to be saved? Anything. And Jesus thinks for, and he, says, he knows the guy loves uh, his life and he loves his wealth. Jesus recognizes, this guy can't come to me. I, I can't be Lord of his life when he has these things. And Jesus says, sell all you own. And he says, he went away disappointed he was ready to receive with joy jesus i'm ready i believe jesus says hey here's the cost for you not for everybody for you here's what i know is separating your heart from me that i'll never be number one sell everything you have get rid of it all and make me the thing that is your great treasure and he walks away sad that guy was so close to the kingdom he was ready to receive it i would say honestly a a modern day example but this would be, uh, as, we, as we are inviting you to go out and share on the streets, we will, you will have people who will pray a prayer and profess faith. But the reality is, it's ultimately about what we're going to talk about. Fruit bearing is where we see whether that seed took. And so we recognize it's not about saying a one-time prayer. And this, this probably should help us getting a better theology, right? Because many people will hold on to that prayer. Many parents hold on to the prayer. My son, he was seven years old, prayed the prayer. I know he's a Christian for all of his life. No. No. If you receive and you reject, Jesus says, that that soil never bore fruit. Never bore fruit. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm saying, according to this, people will receive And then it says, immediately they they might also reject. You see both in this passage. They received with joy, and immediately they rejected when there was persecution as a result of the word. The next ground is this. Thorny. Uh, And the thorny, I told you, there's, there's competition. Here's what I would say, what this person looks like. And this is probably the one I would say that is mostly in church. The one... Who landed on the path, they wanted nothing to do. They they made no profession of faith. They didn't accept it. The one who landed on the rocky ground, they did receive, but then they also rejected it. It was very clear, I've rejected Christ. The thorny ground is probably the most complicated because these are often people, they receive and they believe that they are followers of Christ and they're often most in the church. But there is never any fruit from their life. And this is the lie of Christ what we call the carnal Christian. There's this idea that if my kids are in the church or I am in the church and I attend church, that for sure I am a follower of Christ. But remember last week when Jesus said, who's my mother and brother? What was the qualification he gave? You know? Yes, exactly. And we have a new family. And that new family, do you remember what he said about why they're his mother and brother? Those who do the will of God. And it's the same application here. So those who receive the, what Jesus is saying, but never follow God with their life. And by, by saying that, so I'm not saying church attendance. I'm not saying being a good person. I'm talking about when Jesus has clearly commanded, obey these things with your life, and we choose instead to live our own life. That's not following Christ. You're following yourself with a Christian flavor. Right? You're the Lord of your life. If ultimately who you obey is you and not God, then you're the Lord of your life, not God. And that's what Jesus is saying. If I were to give you examples of of this, I would say Judas would be a great example of somebody who was following Christ, performed, would have been sent out by Christ, would have witnessed for Christ, would have baptized people. And yet what we would say is Jesus turned away from Christ and was any of of what he was doing, he was participating, was was any true fruit. An example of this Is in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus is talking about the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And did we not do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So if you think this is Sam's interpretation, this isn't Sam's interpretation. I see three clear responses to the gospel. One outright rejection, one receiving and then rejecting. Hey, I I received it, but I renounce it. The other one is, I'm receiving it, but I'm living my own life the way I want. Where you say you're following Christ, you say the name of Christ, but your life looks nothing like him. What I would say is, is, this is the... The type of Christian where we're told, be not conformed by this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is that what they have done is, they have taken Jesus and put it alongside of everything else they hold dear. Is Jesus a part of their life? Yes. Do they attend church? Yes. But they have, have they renounced everything else? No. I want Jesus, but I also want my career, and I also want wealth, and I also want comfort, and I also want everything good to only happen to me. I don't want cancer, and I don't want suffering, and I don't want anything else. I'm the one who who says what is good or bad for me, and what is good or bad for me is on Sundays it's good for me to go to church. I like those people. I agree with those beliefs. But don't tell me to live them out. Don't tell me to put Jesus first, Pharisee. Legalism. (laughs) Don't. Don't even tell me what to do. Don't even tell me how to live. Don't call me out for not being loving. Don't call me out for not living my Christian life. Let me be me. Expressive individualism in the church. God forbid it. You're a part of this church. You're a part of this family. And each of us get to call each other out and say, are you living for Christ or are you living for the world? Because when you're living for the world, you're giving all of us a bad name. Nobody at your work can even tell you, say you're a Christian, but your life looks no different. So I would say this: that third example is the person who professes faith, but their life looks exactly like their neighbor and their coworker and everybody else. You got the same values, you got the same pursuits, you got the same salary. Hey, my money's my money. I don't tie to the Lord. That's mine. I want a bigger car. I want a nicer house. Well, sorry, there's there's a man named God. He gave it all to you, and there's you live for him, you give to him, and you do everything for him. So lastly, there is these good soil, 30, 60, and 100. Here's all I want to say. I think Luke 8.15 summarizes the best. Luke, by, by the way, Matthew and Luke both ha- give the parable of the soils. We're just looking at Mark's account. But Luke says something I love. He says, as for the good soil, they are those who listen to the two tests, who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Hearing test, heart test, fruit test. I love the fact that he says, bear fruit with patience. God's work in us is never as fast as we would like. But I will tell you, if we do not give up on Jesus, Jesus is going to be faithful to constantly be moving us towards Christ's likeness It doesn't happen in, in a week. It doesn't happen in a day. Although God, in some, some circumstances, chooses to work radically, give up smoking, give up a cigarette, or uh, give up alcohol, uh, stop certain behaviors that have been lifelong struggles. That happens for some. And others, R.C. Sproul is one of the guys I love to read and listen to. Uh, unbelievable theologian. It took him 12 years to give up smoking. And if we would have judged him at any point in time, like, man, you're a real theologian. You're a real man of God out there smoking after church, right? You know, how judgmental would we be? But it takes some of us a long time to get rid of sin. So here's my invitation. And here's where I want you to be honest. Which soil are you? Are you hearing it? And it is immediately, are you closed and saying, I, I don't believe? Are you that rocky soil where you receive and then you just as quickly reject? Or have you been that person? Are you you one of those carnal Christians, the lie of the carnal Christians that I can believe, but my life doesn't really change? My heart doesn't really change? Or are you the good soil, which Jesus says 30, 60, and 100-fold production? I want to end with just one verse. Psalm 95, 7 to 8 says this, Today, if you hear my voice... Do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. For everyone who hears the gospel and wants to respond, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. God, we treasure your word. Would everyone here do a a hearing test and a heart test? God, weigh our hearts. And... For those of us who are honest and we, we are hardened soil, we're rocky soil, maybe we're the soil that, that's thorny that, God, we're in church, but really, honestly, if we're, we don't really produce fruit, God, we ask for you to work in a miraculous way because you are the Lord of the harvest. You're the only one that can move soil to produce. God, by ourselves, in physical farming, we can produce a tenfold harvest with sun and light that you provide. When we talk about a spiritual harvest, you can create 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest in our life. Would you do that in our hearts? Would everyone who hears today be willing to take a step of faith and let today be the day of salvation? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.